0: Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is John Calipari, head basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. Yes, the legendary Coach Cal. I got to tell you, if you're listening to this podcast first thing in the morning, you can just skip the coffee because Coach Cal will get you fired up with just his passion and energy alone. But you know, there's something even more powerful behind that enthusiasm, and that's how much Coach Cal really, really, really cares for his players. He's always pushing his guys to improve. He knows how to relate to each guy to draw out their best. He's a master at framing up a big goal. And you can see in every decision he makes, he's putting his players and their families first. It's the foundation for every team, every season, and every player, and it comes before the tactics and strategies. It's a huge reason his teams continually do well and has placed Coach Cal in the pantheon of college coaching legends. But enough of the pregame show. Let's actually get to it. Here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, John Calipari. John, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to have
1: this conversation. David, I appreciate it. You got to remind them that I was fired by the New Jersey Nets. Just that's something that I like to make sure it's in there.
0: <laughs> hey, you know, Coach, in business, one of the things that, you know, people are really missing out on is coaching. I mean, they really don't have a coach. And if you were going to just break down your coaching philosophy into its simplest form, what would it be?
1: Um, there's two pieces to it that I would tell you. If you care about your people, you always have a job if they know you're about them and you truly care and you're about their growth, you'll always have a job. And the best piece of advice I had was in 1989 by a guy named Pat Nardelli, who was our, uh, supporter for our high school basketball team. And when I got the UMass job, he grabbed me, he, he did strip malls and stuff. We thought this guy was a billionaire, you know, <laughs> he was a great guy. And, and, and he says to me, remember this cow, you can have a bad deal with good people, because stuff happens. But you can never have a good deal with bad people. Doesn't work, It does, I don't care what it smells like, how much you think you're gonna make, don't do it. So for me, my entire time is when I bring people near me, are they good people? You know, do they have good hearts? Are they sharers or takers? Uh, do they add energy or do they zap energy? And those are the people around me, but the people that I'm here to coach, they got to know man this guy cares about me this guy's about my future this guy is the, here to make me better so I, I would say that those would be the two things that i've lived by you know that's
0: great you know and coach i don't know i'm sure you remember this maybe you don't but you know i remember meeting you for the first time we were at the Kentucky Derby you just become the the coach of Kentucky and and you came into the, my suite at the the derby and and you said you know what i heard you go see Warren Buffett every year you got to take me to Warren Buffett you know, when you go, I want to go with you. Where'd you learn to make such a bold request like that? I mean, you asked me that. I'm within, shameless. You, you asked me that within 30 minutes.
1: I'm shameless. <laughs> when they told me you went, and then we fly out to see him, and he has no bodyguards. He has one person in his office. Uh, He says, we're going to go have lunch. I'm all excited. He gets in an old Cadillac. Was it a Cadillac yeah, it was, a, it was a Lincoln? Lincoln?
0: It was a Lincoln. Lincoln, Lincoln down okay. car.
1: And then you and I, I think we had a driver. He's driving himself. (laughs) And where do we go for lunch?
0: KFC, big guy. You got to go to KFC. We went
1: to Kentucky Fried Chicken. He gets a chicken breast. How much salt did he put on that chicken breast? More than
0: any human being I've ever seen. The only person who ever put salt on Kentucky Fried Chicken.
1: (laughs) He put so much salt on. I'm like, he was talking to us. He's like this. And I'm looking. I'm like, well, stop. And he just kept going. I'm like. He must have forgot that he was doing that. He put, but how about being around him for yeah. an hour or two, whatever it was? Incredible. What What
0: impressed you the most about about Warren Buffett?
1: Regular person, regular guy. Like no, you know, you knocked on his office door and they buzzed you in. You come in, it's his secretary. And no one, I mean, it's not crazy. Um, no, um, you know, I, I think again, his, his stuff is about ideas and. Doing things and being curious and being about people. And and when you're around them, you're just like, this is success. Wow. It's like be normal. You can still be worth billions and billions and have the greatest idea and the greatest common sense ever and still be a real person. I mean you had, I mean you had been with him before I think you laugh when I'm looking around like you got to be kidding me he's in an old Lincoln like
0: <laughs> yeah, we drove, I remember his license plate had uh, uh, thrifty on it you know which is great you know but I remember when we were having lunch at, at KFC uh, he started talking about his shareholder meeting which he always has in Bay and that he through the magic of video he he dunked on top of LeBron James. And, uh, you know, it was really funny. And he, he showed us that. And, and so you immediately texted LeBron, and LeBron texted you right back. And I think that really impressed Warren Buffett.
1: <laughs> but how, how excited was he about it? Oh, uh, he, he loved like, it. Like he went crazy. Talk- you got to watch the video, you got to see this. I mean, like a little kid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He was like a little kid about yeah. it. It made me, uh, one, I've always respected him. But at that point, I grew to really like him. Yeah. If you know what I'm yeah. saying, I just thought, "Wow, this is neat."
0: Well, we talked a little bit about LeBron James, Ed, and you you really talked about his his leadership. I remember when we were with Warren. What have you learned from your your relationship with LeBron James? Because you guys are pretty close.
1: Well, we, we're close, but it's you know he's like a typical guy of mine. that's one of my players that goes pro. It's you know, uh, you, you're you, the best you're going to get is a text back and forth. So. But here's here's what you learn: Um, the most loyal person you would ever see, loyal to his family, his the people that he's grew grew up with. Um, But he holds everybody accountable. I'm gonna help you get started, do what you want, but you got to earn your way. I mean, he's that way too. Loyal, um, also driven and wired to be special. he called a good friend of mine who's a good friend of yours to work on his shooting, Bob Rotella. Right. Right. And he had him go to Vegas and he said, Bob said, so tell me. And his comment was, I want to be one of the best players to ever play this game and I got to improve my shooting. And I want you to talk to me mentally about it. So not to get into any detail, but he was that way. How do I get better? He went to see Warren Buffett because he said, I want to be the best with my money. Give me ideas. And he met with them based on that. I want to give me, what do you think? How do I go about this? So here's what he is. Curious. Curious about everything. And loyal as the day is long. Wired and driven has been blessed with talents and body. And you know what? He's paid it forward with the school in Cleveland and different things that he's doing. Um, He's a special Special player, yeah. special person, you know, special father. He's, he's the real deal. You know,
0: you, you brought up Bob Rotella, and, and I remember when the PGA event was at Valhalla in Louisville, he was, Bob stayed at my house, you learned of that and you called me up and said, Hey, I want to come have some Kentucky fried chicken with you and talk to Bob.
1: And your father was my, there, right? My dad your was there. Your father was well. with
0: us. Absolutely. And I just want to ask you, how is Bob Rotella, this great sports psychologist, how has he shaped your leadership?
1: Um one thing he taught me is that you don't have ESP. You gotta talk and you gotta get what people are really thinking because body language always doesn't fit how someone's thinking. Um, What he's done for me where I thought so-and-so or this kid or that kid, he'd have meetings with players and wouldn't break a confidence, but he would say, wow, you got a team that really trusts you and they need you. They need your affirmation. They're only 18, 19 year olds, but I'm telling you, Cal, you got a crew of kids where Um, anybody that you would think by looking because of a body language, you can't, you know, you can't really tell and you got to have communication and you got to meet with them individually. And you, uh, Bob's been working with my teams and me, it's, it's kind of like he worked on my, my golf game. And he developed a nice shank after being around me, working with me a little bit. And I say, I mean, you get with me uh, as a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, you're going to have a, you know, you you'll start, your body will start moving certain ways.
0: <laughs> you'll start having the problem. You know, Cal. I remember you told me the story about how you learned about the the patented dribble drive uh, offense. You know about this junior college coach. Could you share that with our listeners? Cause I just love this one.
1: Well, uh, Vance Wahlberg uh, reached out. He was in Memphis, Tennessee and wanted to come to one of our practices. So he watches us practice. I think he watched a game and I said, why don't we go to lunch? And we start talking. I said, well, so how do you guys play? What are you doing? He said, ah, oh, you don't want to know. And I said, so what do you mean? I don't want it? It's totally different. You know, you're, The way you're playing is is great, but we play this is totally off, you know. So I said, no, show me. So we went with salt packets, sugar packets, I should say, and, and we, five of them, and we moved them around, and he showed me what he was doing. It was the original dribble drive motion, and this was before anybody was running it. And I'm like, it was really hard, but it made sense, the spacing of it. So flew to Fresno, California, where he worked. And I watched him put it in with his team. I went home. I had a headache. I went home and I tried to do some stuff. I flew back out and looked at him and watched him do it again. Um, I didn't have the total players that could run that. So we did it through one player. And uh, that one player had the ability when he caught the ball, Antonio Burks, to just go and we played off his drive. Everybody else, we'd be playing, but when he got it, we went dribble drive. He ends up being the player of the year in the league. He ends up getting drafted by the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. And, and he was a walk on two <laughs> years prior. Wow. And I said, wait a minute, I'm gonna go full Monty with this. And within the second year, I went full Monty. Now I had a lot of people all over me, like why in the world Would you change what you've been doing? You're winning 75, 78, whatever it is, percent of your games, and you change because a junior college coach came in? Well, I'll be honest with you, David. I thought it would be better for my players. It'd make them more aggressive and more of an attacking mode. Problem is you're going to have more turnovers. Can you live with that? Uh, You're going to have less assists because most of it's driving to the rim. No mid-level shots. Well, now you look at it, everybody's running dribble drive. And we went from where we were to, my guess is, winning about 90% of our games, playing that way. And we don't solely play that way, but I teach it to every team. Because I've had some big teams, I've had different teams that didn't fit that offense as well.
0: I, I love that story because, you know, you took an idea from somebody at a much lower level because the idea made sense. I also love the fact that you you, you, you went out to lunch or dinner with them and you went back there a couple of times. That's, that shows me something. You know, Cal, I also know that you were one of the first coaches to ever really adopt social media. You know, you started using Twitter way before everybody else did. Now you have like 1.6 million followers. You know, what have you learned uh, about social media and, and, and how have you made it such a powerful tool for you?
1: It's one of the best things I've ever done. And I was talked into it. Uh, I'm not a computer guy. So we have Facebook, probably have 750 Facebook followers, maybe more. Uh, Twitter, like you said, one, six, one, seven, whatever it is, Um, uh, all the other uh, platforms we, we have. And here's what it's done. Throughout my career, before social media, you were defined by others. And if they chose to like you, they'd define you nicely. If they chose not to like you for whatever reason, they didn't define you nicely. Some of the stuff was Uh, self-inflicted some of it was like where did that come from but you couldn't ever defend yourself David you cannot defend yourself someone else has to defend you because if you say I didn't I don't I don't I didn't I don't they say he did so you can't well what happens and I never tried to defend myself this is who I am I'm going to live my life whether you like it or not this is who I am but now here comes social media I can define who I am and I can be transparent as I choose to be. I can uh, have followers who defend me. I don't have to defend myself. If you write something that's not true and I know it's not true, I don't even have to say anything. Before I had to accept it, write it, it's done. Now there's a lot of stuff on social media if you read it, which I don't. So let me tell everybody out there. I really can't get into a computer, like I can't. If I'm on a Zoom call, someone else probably got me on, okay? Notice my hands. I won't touch anything here because if it goes off screen, I can't get myself back (laughs) on, okay? So I have a crew that does the Twitter, Facebook, my website, all that stuff. Nothing goes out unless I say I read it, I like it, or I send it to them and maybe have them read it. Because sometimes, David, you say stuff Typing it, it's not how you meant it. And someone else will read it. They send it out the way you meant it. But that stuff and how we've been able to use it um, has really elevated our program. Here's what I say you use this for, all these platforms. To get out the message, to pick people up, to let them see how you are, to do that. The trolls, now I want all the trolls to hear me. I don't see one thing that's tweeted back. I don't see one response <laughs> on Facebook, on my website. I, listen to me. You may think I see a response. You just wasted your time typing because I'm not watching, listening. It's about me being able to get out my message, me being able to pick up people. I mean, it's someone's birthday and in my realm of people, and I put it out, and they call me, oh, my God, I got the thousand uh, text messages that you put my birthday out. You make people feel good. You put their name on there. You do stuff like that. That, and I tell my team, don't read the stuff that comes back because half of the people are not with you. Don't read it. Coach,
0: that sounds great. You use social media in a positive way. But I have to tell you, it sounds like you've got a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You think you've had a lot of people take a, unfair, a lot of unfair shots at you? And, and if so, how do you handle that?
1: Well, I'll say this. I have bazooka holes in my body. So when people shoot arrows, it doesn't hit skin. It goes right through. And, and uh, you know, it's it's how could somebody like me, who's been blessed with so many things, whose grandparents came through Ellis Island, uh, who's the first college educated, my sisters and I in our family, that's the coach at Kentucky, they even pay me to do this job. I would do it for nothing. Well, not nothing, but I would do it for very little. And they pay me to do this job. Hard for me to complain. And whatever has gone on, it had not slowed me down. <laughs> and maybe even helped me. Um, maybe made me stronger, David. Maybe made me thick-skinned where stuff I don't. And when someone comes at me with something, you know what I say now? I agree. Can we move on? <laughs> I agree with you. You're the I agree with you. Can we move on? I mean, what? you're fine. I mean, and I've learned this early in life. Don't ever argue with a drunk. You're just going to get mad, it's not worth
0: it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you run into a few of those, but not that you frequent those places, I know you don't. But you know, I bring up all these experiences where you sought learning from others, uh, because you're a voracious learner. Uh, who are you learning from today?
1: Well, I, I, John Gordon just sent me one of his books. He's uh, John Gordon has some great stuff that I also pass along to my team. And one of the things I do, reading for me is giving me stuff to give to my team. So I'm not reading novels. It's not, I'm not, that doesn't what moves me. I want to read something that, I like history. Um, you know, you, you like reading different things in history that I look at now and say, wow. I mean, I always say this, in the 60s, in the 70s, Could I do some of the stuff I'm doing now? Would I have the courage to stand up and do some of these things I do, play the kind of stuff, you know, where, look, CM Newton played an all-black team in Alabama in the 70s. You know, I went up to him and said, I mean, you had courage, and he said, yeah, really, I was trying to win. I was playing my best players I could play. I didn't see color. I was trying to play good players. But would I have the courage to do that? Would I have the courage? My job's on the line. I, I talk about Coach Smith at North Carolina, David. He well, first of all, he, who he was as a ninth grader, he went from a middle school that was desegregated and to a high school that was segregated. And he went to the school board and said, this isn't right, this isn't fair. You can't do this. He was in ninth grade, Dean Smith. It tells you who he was in Topeka, Kansas. So now when he's on their campus and they're hanging him in effigy because he's not winning enough, he goes with the students and sits at the counter. I always wonder, would I have courage to do that? Now, later on, Dean Smith and me at this point, I mean, you're not, it doesn't take as much courage to really say what you feel and to do what you think is right. Forget about the popularity of it. But back then, would I have had that courage? I don't know. And so what I read for and what I do those things for, I want to have stuff that I can give to these young people to make them think, to make them more curious I give them books to read. Uh, we talk about what. What is. What did you take from this book?
0: That's fantastic. You know, and, and 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 John, in every business, it always comes down to people and talent is everything. And you're reputed as as the best recruiter in in college basketball. You know, what's your secret? How, how do you? I know you've got a great brand with the University of Kentucky, but there's a lot of great brands out there. What do you do to always bring in the top talent?
1: Well. First of all, that um, if you're going to have a good team, it starts in how you recruit. If you promise the world or say whatever you have to to get somebody, you may forget what you said to that family because you're recruiting all kind of families. But do you know who won't forget what you said to them? That family or that young person. You can't have trust. You can't build a team. Um This isn't for everybody at Kentucky. If you're drinking, smoking, clubbing, chasing, you don't come here. If you're really into basketball, if you're into sharing, to see what kind of teammate you can be. If you're trying to every day in practice have a competitive partner that's going to make you better for 170 days instead of 15 games, you're playing against somebody as good as you. Do you understand that everybody has to eat? You can't score 30 a game now. We need five or six of you to score 30 in a game or more. So when we get in the NCAA tournament, everybody knows we can do it. we got a whole team that could get 35 if they need it. But you can't average that here because everybody's got to eat. Well, if you want to hear you're going to be the only guy, every plays through you, you're the guy. We only have two guys that we recruited in those slots, and those guys take all the shots. And that. You're not coming to Kentucky. Um, most cases, they know each other before they come. I want them to recruit each other. When one kid said he wants to come, I'll say, who else do you want with you? Tell us who you want to bring in. How do we do this? You know, it was funny. I used your stuff with John Wall. John, don't you leave here by yourself. You take every one of these people with you. You take these with you. And, David, we had five first-round draft picks that year. Never been done before. And the only way it'll be done again is if we do it. But it's only been done once in the history of the game, and I gave them what you said. Don't you leave here by yourself. You take these guys with you. And he did. Yeah, absolutely. What
0: process do you go through mentally, John, to to, to really figure out how, what makes each player tick?
1: That's a lot of individual meetings and watching. And the other thing I'll tell you, I tell the kids, fail fast, go try things, do things. Um, um, Who can take, aggressive coaching some cannot um I'm always pulling my best player aside and I tell them I gotta coach you harder than everybody else here if it gets too much come and see me we'll talk about it but if I can coach you hard I can coach everyone on our team hard um we had Carl Towns normally I'll do this we'll be in a locker room and it's two months into the season and I'll say all right who am I being hardest on Normally, there'll be three or four guys. I said, well, it can't be all three of you. It's got to be one of you. So I'm saying who am I hardest on? But Carl raised his hand and everybody pointed at him. (laughs) And he had such pride. that Yep, he gets on me harder than any. He's the number one pick. He signed a Supermax contract. He calls me dad. You know, I love you, dad. I mean, to this day. And I was harder on him than anybody. And I think if you can do that, You can coach. If you can't do that, you can't coach these kind of kids because you'll lose your team. I'm not going to deal with him, but I'm going to coach all you guys. Can't do it.
0: How do you go about painting the vision for for each team that comes in? Does the vision change, John, depending on the team that you have?
1: Um, You know, I think every team is a little bit different. Um, But the whole idea is we use the basketball season for one thing. Prepare us for the NCAA tournament. We use our conference tournament for one thing. Prepare us for the NCAA tournament. That's it. There's no league titles, no tournament league titles, don't care. Now we won a ton of them because of that mentality. You're playing like you really don't care. And all of a sudden you turn around, you won more league titles than anybody. Well, you weren't even trying to do that. But in a season, we want to play every kind of team possible. So a fast team, a slow team, a zone team, a pressing team, we want to be able to say we faced everything for one reason, to prepare us for the NCAA tournament. We want five or six guys to score 25 points or more in a game, at least one, maybe more, so that they know going into the tournament, it may be your night. These are one-and-done tournaments. We don't know who somebody might have to step up. He may be bad. He may be bad. You may be in foul trouble. It's up to you. Go to get it done. And then the conference tournament, which I hate because it's three games and three nights. What does that do to prepare you for the NCAA tournament? But I tell them when we get to the finals, if you're going to have us play another game, you better win this thing now. We could have lost the first or second. I'd have been fine. But now that you got us in the finals (laughs) and I got to coach this game, you better win. (laughs) That's
0: great. When you think about the culture that you have, how how important do you think culture is? And how do you, how do you describe the culture to the team?
1: Well, it, it, you live and die with culture, I believe. And I think, again, there's got to be things that are absolutely unacceptable to the leader that they know. And that's how you build that culture. Um, We've had um, 20 guys graduate, in the 10 years. My son and three others graduated in three years. They know it's important to me. We've gotten the uh, academic award from the NCAA. You ready? 10 years in a row. I know everybody listening out there says that can't be true. You've had all these guys leave after one year. Well, they leave in good academic standing, which means they can come back because they all have lifetime scholarships. So if something goes bad, You can always come back and finish your degree, but you gotta be in good academic standing. So they know that's important to me. Conditioning and weight training. They know that's a big part of what we do. What is important, how you act, how you treat people. Um, We've had telethons to raise money. I'm trying to teach them that you're gonna come across fame and fortune. The question is, what are you gonna do with it? Do you know how to build joy within you? It's what you do for somebody else. It's not what you're gathering and what you're dragging in. And so part of our pillars of what we want to do in our culture is that. It's not about winning basketball games. If we take care of everything else, we'll win our basketball games. We'll have a chance. If we love on them and they love on each other, we'll have a chance to win the national title (laughs) because it's about, yeah, you got good players, but they got, like last year's team, may have been the closest team I've had. If we'd have played in the NCAA tournament, I'm telling you, David, we'd have been one of the last teams standing. My team, I don't care what you think, they were so close. And you know what? They know they needed each other. And they came out and played collectively so good. They worked hard. They were good kids. They were curious. They understood it was more than just basketball. They understood how we take the season If you're into yourself, it's not a real good place to be. you got to be about everybody else here.
0: One of the things that coaches have to do is you've got to define reality. You know, how do you go about doing that with your team?
1: Well, um, one, the only thing you don't want is people to be delusional. Because delusional is is probably right there with arrogance. You're you're delusional. You're not – you want them to – like the players always say to me, David, We want you to keep it real, like keep it real. Unless I keep it real with them, then they don't like it so much. They want me to keep it real with another player. (laughs) Don't keep it real with me. But in all of this that we do, it's trying to help them define what they are and what their strengths are and play to your strengths. We'll work on your weaknesses, but play to your strengths. And again, a lot of times we're here eight months together as a team. This year I have nine new players. I have one player returning that got any minutes, and they're picking us in the top five. (laughs) Think about what I just said. Nine new players. So now they got to fail fast. They got to learn about each other. They better be good kids and know each other before they get here. Then they got to train and conditionally get their mind right, their body right, before we worry about team basketball.
0: Well, every year, Cal, you you have... Your, your team basically change, it changes out because everybody gets drafted and they go on and play professional basketball and you got to start fresh. What advice can you give to people on, on, on how to build a, a great new team?
1: Well, it all starts with trust. Um, if they trust, they won't be timid. If they don't trust, they'll be selfish and timid both. So it starts with being honest and being real, being upfront. Um, Larry Brown, I told you, to, told me if you care about people, you'll always have a job. And if they know you care, you can be aggressive. You can coach them as long as they know you care. Uh, the hard thing now that's made this job a little different for all of us is social media, because now they are seeing lists and where they're ranked. And you got people telling them if you shoot more, if you and you're like, whoa, whoa, Uh, Anthony Davis was our fourth leading scorer and was the number one pick. Carl Towns scored 11 a game and was the number one pick. So who's telling you? Is it the barber, the butcher? Who's telling you? I mean, (laughs) so if, if you understand that numbers don't matter at Kentucky, you go prove what you do transfers to the next league and you're fine. How about this, David? There's a leading scorer on every college team. There's a leading rebounder on every college team. That doesn't make them pros. And it's the same here, Anthony and 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 uh, um, you know uh, Carl Towns and uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist was our fifth leading scorer. I mean, you know, it's it's not what it is. It's do you have what it takes?
0: You mentioned the chemistry of this uh, this team you just had. Okay, you know, I, I, chemistry is critical for any great team. How, what do you do uniquely to create a chemistry
1: that you know is going to lead to? the right outcome do they trust us when we piece a team together do you trust that we have your back uh, do you understand and you have to explain when we play this way they may not ask you but you gotta answer this question what's in it for me they're gonna they're thinking it like what's in it for me you know what i do i point to the 40 draft picks on the walls above there. That's what's in it for you if we do this. We have to win. I got something over my shoulder. That was the platoon. All those guys were drafted in the NBA. That's something over there that's the the 80 of my guys behind me, but they have to know what's in it for me. And if it's, I got you, you got my back, then I'm gonna do what you're asking me to do. I'll tell you, the hardest year we had was the year we had the two platoons. I just figured out John McClendon, The iconic coach who we've named this new initiative after was the first one that did platoons and he did it back in the forties and fifties. Bring in five, bring in five. He brought three fives, five, 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 and they just kept coming. Well, what happened with that team? They said, how did you do it? You had the twins. Devin Booker came off the bench. He scored 70 in an NBA game and you brought him off the bench. Carl Towns played 21 minutes. Willie Carley, Dakari Johnson. You had Tyler Eulis, who's one of the best point guards I coach. You had the Harrison brothers. You had Alex. You had Marcus Lee. How did you do it? We won every game. If we had won every game, if we had lost three or four, it would have been hard. But when you're winning and they're all benefiting they'll continue down that road. And you know, we won 38 straight games no, I, before we lost. I, I, <laughs> it was
0: a, I, I did have won all 40,
1: <laughs> to be honest
0: with you. Well, yeah, that was a great team. And because you recruit such good players, you know, they go to the NBA, you got to start over basically every year. How do you, as a leader, rejuvenate yourself and, and stay fresh to tackle each challenge like this? This has got to wear you down.
1: Well, how about the other side of it is, what if you had the same lesson plan you're teaching for 20 years? That wouldn't wear you down. I mean, so I go in every year. It's exciting. Like this team I have, don't say anything. This may be one of my better teams. So I'm excited about going. I don't know how we're going to play yet. We may have huge guards. We may have long wings. I don't know. But you know what? That's what gets me up in the morning. That kind of wakes me up. And then it's my job to figure out, how I put something together that every one of these kids benefit by. But let me say this, they are responsible for themselves. Like you you are responsible for you. I'm here trying to help putting this out, but you've got to perform. You've got to do it. You've got to put in the work. Um, you got to be unselfish. Uh, but I think it's exciting. I'd rather have, look, I will take talent over experience every time. <laughs> I would.
0: You know, great coaches, you know, you know, like you light up when you talk about, you know, helping people achieve their potential. And who do you think you have helped the most as a basketball player and, and, a, and a young man? Who, who have you helped really achieve what they, they never thought they could ever achieve?
1: Well, you hope you helped everybody. Um, but today I get a call from Derek Willis, who took four years to get it right coach, I got an issue. I want to talk to you about this. I got a decision to make. And he he and I were on the phone 30 minutes today. And, uh, you know, the guys that weren't the stars, stars, as you look back, probably appreciate you more than the other guys that were there. You hear from them more. They text you more. They're more uh, active, which is fine. And, and I get it. Everybody's on their own life path and they move. Uh, what I hope is, that everyone left here saying, well, he was hard. He was tough to play for. He was demanding. But, you know, he did care. And he wasn't afraid to tell you the truth, you know. And hopefully over a period of time, that turns into some affection. There's probably some that that are like, I can't stand the guy, which is fine. I mean, look. You know, and I sometimes I like to say, and I didn't like every one of them either. So I don't (laughs) go but I really did. I I can't name a handful of guys that I didn't enjoy coaching. And I'll tell you what's been my blessing. My best players have been good guys, which made my job easy. What if your best player, your star within Yum, and he's getting it done, but he's such a pain in the butt, and he screws up everybody else, but he's so, he gets it done, and you got to deal with that. So, I mean, that makes it hard. When your best guys are good people and are sharers and they are, are givers, not takers, I've been blessed now for – I don't want to say I've done this for 30-some years, but I've done this for – where did time go, David? Where did it go?
0: Coach, what's a one-on-one coaching session with you like?
1: Well, it depends. If we're at the table in my office, that means I'm a listener. If you're, I'm at my desk and you sit in one of those chairs in front of me that's lower than my chair, you're the listener. There's a reason you're sitting over there down lower than my chair. Um, But the reason I like to be on a court one-on-one with guys, because now I feel invested and then I become, I'm rooting for them. And I'd like to play coach every player that way, where I'm rooting for you to do well.
0: You've been such a great coach and still a great coach, obviously. And But you, there got to be times when you need coaching yourself. You know, how do you go about coaching yourself through difficult and tricky situations?
1: Well, I'm not afraid to call for help. You know, Bob Rotel is a phone call. I have four or five coaching buddies that I know I can trust and I can ask and they can give me an honest opinion. My wife will give me an honest opinion. In normal times, non-pandemic times, I go to mass every morning. I go to mass every morning because I have big responsibilities that I have to deal with. And it isn't coaching basketball. It's dealing with 12 children. The families of those children look at me and trust me. And I get up every morning and go to Catholic mass. And, and that's like the first thing in my day for 30 minutes to get me thinking right, to get it off of me and think about everybody else and do a prayer list and stuff like that. And I would suggest to anyone out there, it's it doesn't have to be that but I would spend time if I wasn't doing that 30 minutes a morning on just reflecting how grateful I am. Um, What I, what else can I do to improve? How can I help people around me? You know, have I been thoughtful? Who haven't I talked to lately? Like I'll leave mass and I'm praying for somebody. And I said, you know, I haven't talked to them in a while and I'll call them on the way out of the Mass? Hey, if I go to New York city, I go to uh, St. Pat's and many people that if they're watching this will know I light candles for people. And then I take a picture and I'll light a row of candles, like eight candles. And I'll light the candles and I'll start sending to my buddies, look, I, I lit a candle for you. And I think, again, to get out of myself and into that mode, I feel way better, way better. Looking
0: back, when did you have that light bulb moment that said, I want to be a coach?
1: I was pretty young. I, look, I wanted to be a high school coach and a teacher. Never thought about college coaching, it was hard to think about college. There were no college graduates in my family. So the, we lived right near the high school. When I say right next, the properties were next to each other. I had to go up a hill, and I walked 15 yards, and I was in the high school. I went up a little hill, 15 yards. So I was always in the gym. Um, I was the bat boy for the high school baseball team. Ray Bazzetti was the coach. I was in third grade. I was the ball boy for the basketball team. Skip Tatala, Bill Sacco were the coaches. Those three are still my friends today. I was in third grade. I wore a bow tie, like the pin-on bow tie. And, and so that's who I looked up to. And, and then the other thing is, it looked like all the Italians coached. So I said, I guess I'm Italian. I'm supposed to coach. It. Bizzetti, Capuano, Sacco, uh, Tatala. And and uh, that's what I was going to do. And I went to college and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I was a gym rat and I loved to play.
0: Well, you were a point guard and that was you're the coach on the floor. Did that say, hey,
1: sometimes I didn't know how to lead. You know, you lead back then. You think you're, you know, do what I say and you're not really, you know, even the kids today. Because they have the best personality or traits to lead, they don't know what it means to really lead.
0: Well, tell us what that is. What,
1: what is that? Well, it means you, you're, you're willing to take a step back and serve. You're willing to watch someone else's success and have great joy in it. How about this one? You're willing to be wrong sometimes so that somebody else can be right. And that's a true leader that that. The the kids now think, go get my towel. No, you get the towels for everybody else. You flip them to them. You're leading us. Um, You're the one that makes sure the the locker room is cleaned up, not the last guy on the the team. You're the one that takes care of the trainers and the the equipment managers and our managers so everybody follows your lead and they watch you, and now they treat people better. So teaching all that kind of stuff, uh, when they tell me leaders are born, I mean, you may be born with a personality or some traits, but not the skill to really lead, in my opinion. I may be wrong. What do you think? No, you I, think
0: that's true? I, I think you, I think leaders can be taught. They're, you know, I think you can be born with some traits that make it easier for you. Uh, but I think you have to learn through experience and time and grade to f- and figure it out. So I don't think, and that's
1: what you've done your whole career, David. You've you've taught leadership. Well, I, I, I do love You wrote books on leadership. (laughs) Well, (laughs) no one listens to me. My players don't listen to me. My wife doesn't listen to me.
0: I want to learn. I'm learning right now. You know, when you look back, what leader, who taught you the most?
1: Well, first of all, you don't fall far from your family, your tree, you know, um, I, had, I was so blessed to have two parents. One was a dreamer. My mother said to me, you dream beyond your surroundings. You're not responsible for any of this. You dream beyond this. My dad was a grinder and a gatherer. So he worked at the airport. He was a fueler. My mom sold ice cream at the junior high school for a dime. And um, I'd go to work with my dad and they'd have more fun and he'd tease everybody and they had one guy didn't work. He cooked. So if it was pigs in a blanket, the Polish <laughs> guy, you have sausage and peppers by the Italian guy, someone else, they'd all met. So one of the guys in the crew, your day to cook. And they come back and one day the guy, Johnny O'Busick, would come and he cut everybody's hair. So he, he was off that day, even though he's working, they said, we caught you, but you're cutting hair today. I mean, and he gathered and, uh, And so you learn from your family initially, but the coaches I played for, um, Larry Brown, Coach Brown, um, you know, being around him for two years, uh, the true essence of coaching, caring about people, uh, being around about the people that uh, your staff and, and helping everybody give them a culture, an environment that they can explode in. I mean, if you look at his staff back at Kansas, they just did a story about Pop, R.C., Bill Self, myself, uh, Billy Bano. we could go, uh, Alvin Gentry, uh, Ed Manning was on the staff with us. I mean, I could go on, Mark Freidinger, who's an NBA scout, John Robick, Billy Bano. I mean, he had so many guys on that staff that all went to another level. It's, it's incredible what he was able to do. Yeah, and
0: now I want to have a little lightning round of Q and A and have a little bit more fun with you here. Yeah. So, what what three words would best describe you?
1: Ooh, three words. Three words. He's got a heart. Is that four words? He's got heart. <laughs> okay. How about
0: that? Okay. he's got heart. We'll make it one. Okay, heart. What's your biggest pet peeve?
1: Um, in basketball, catching and passing or rebounding with. One hand. <laughs> Everything's gotta be with two. Anybody that plays for me will tell you, oh, he was nuts about it.
0: <laughs> if you could be one person for a day, who would it be and, and 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 why?
1: George Patton, because I'd wanna know would I have the courage to really go into battle and lead men and be out in front and be aggressive yet care about them I always wonder, I, I say the same thing, could I, could I in the 60s do what I'm doing now and have the, the thoughts and the feelings and, and when I knew it wouldn't be popular, I don't know. So I, I'd like to be in a position to kind of see what, you know, what really am I? You know, would I have the courage to stand up for what was right or would I blend in and say, you know what, you know, I'm, I'm it's not worth me saying.
0: What's something about you that few people would know?
1: Um... Probably that I would go to mass every m- Monday through Friday every morning. So that would probably be the one that they'd say, no way.
0: Do you have a hidden talent?
1: Um, no, I really don't have any talent. You know, I said as a basketball player, I was small, but I was slow. So that's, <laughs> You're crazy. I'm not very talented. I can't sing, I can't dance. Uh, I can't grow a beard. I got whole, look, look, I got spots. Uh, you I'm like, look good.
0: You, you look good. You look very good with that beard. Coach, I want to wrap this up, uh, but I, before I do, I want to touch on two hot topics, okay? The first is, I know you're extremely passionate uh, about racial justice, and, and what are you personally doing to make a difference?
1: All right, so this is going to take me a few minutes, okay, um, when... George Floyd was, in my opinion, and I could say different ways, murdered where we all saw what happened and we all looked at each other and said, how could one human being do that to another human being? How does that happen? And then I'm looking and saying, first of all, I need to step back and figure out what just happened, what's going on, and let me learn and listen because you know the profession I'm in, I would know, I would have a better feel. you don't. And here's the statement I walk away with after two weeks of sitting back saying, I don't know. I understand that I may never understand, but I'll stand with you. And that's kind of where I was at that point. My wife and I sat down and she said to me, look, I know people are telling you, don't be involved. You're a white man. Step back. Don't step out. Don't. And she, she said to me, we owe everything to the African-American Families that have entrusted us with their sons. That's why we've been successful. That's why our family and my daughters and my son and my, you know, going forward, we owe it to them. And my wife said, You better come up with something. You're an idea, man. Do something. So we looked around and I said, You know, we don't have a diversity problem on the fields, we have a diversity problem within the departments. And so the whole idea was, How about? We coaches pay for positions that are one- or two-year opportunities. They're stipends, so $2,500 a month. Uh, You're getting $30,000 for 12 months, $25,000 for 10 months. But you got a real job, and you're going to be mentored by people within athletics, the athletic director, too, and the basketball coach. And you're going to leave with real-world work experience. This is an opportunity you have to earn your way. You have to prove your worth. But this is access and opportunity that you would never get as a minority. So it's minority hiring. So now it became where do we house it? In the John McClendon Foundation. John McClendon was a pioneer African American coach, first Black coach, the coach at a predominantly white school. First professional coach. First, he was the guy that brought fast break basketball. I didn't even tell you. He trained under James Naismith. You know, how about this? Where do you think Dean Smith got the four corners?
0: From this guy. John What's McClendon.
1: My- <laughs> Where do you think we got the platoon stuff? John McClendon. They already have a program that's um, created opportunities for minority ADs, but we're using that. We coaches are the point of funding. We're funding it. The athletic directors create the jobs and positions, and then we're teaching them to lead and be decision makers. David, in athletics, not only would you as the CEO make decisions, you had underneath you different divisions. Someone had to lead those divisions under you, and you needed leadership. Well, in athletics, it's the same way. There's probably 12 or 15 leaders underneath the AD. Why not more minorities? So we're trying to fill the pipeline. The coaches are doing the point of funding. We got 50, 60 coaches signed up. Um, We even, I hate to tell you, went to Yum about why don't you be this sponsor? And now you guys can tie into some internships with us. You can look at these as future employees so we met with Yum, say let's let's have matching dollars. Let's have so how many coaches could not afford thirty three thousand or sixty three thousand? Like you know you're the a mid major. When I was at UMass, I couldn't afford that. So we're saying if we get matching dollars where they're invested to a certain level, and we fill out the rest, if a business comes with us, we could have three hundred schools in this. Right now, it's going to be forty or fifty, and then the rest is. I want this to spread out and be into business, into athletic administration. How about own a business? Entrepreneurs will, will go and say, hey, you taught leadership. You taught we taught you about decision making. And now all of a sudden you leave us. And the whole goal would be everyone leave. Every future leader that comes in, leaves and says, greatest experience of my life. That's fantastic. In our day, when we did an internship, we never got paid. I was a volunteer assistant. Your first job, you probably didn't get paid. (laughs) And now all of a sudden, we're doing this. The reason we're doing that, we don't want them to have a second job. We don't want them to have to take a loan. We don't want them to have savings spent. This is a springboard. We don't want this to hold you back. So now you know what I'm doing.
0: That's fantastic. It's been
1: announced. We're moving forward with it. Um, I'm really. You could tell I'm juiced about. Yeah, this. absolutely. I I believe it can make a difference. Mm-hmm. I really believe that.
0: Well, with your kind of energy behind it, I'm sure sure it will. Uh, the second thing I wanted to ask you, Coach, is 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 COVID nineteen. You know, how has it changed how you're doing your job now, and and what do you what do you expect's going to happen in the upcoming season?
1: Well, the the second piece is would be a guess. I mean, I'd, I'd be guessing like anybody else. You have to follow the science. Um, what we've done is been overly protective of my players, testing them once like a week, um, mask on. Uh, they're living in our lodge, which only they are in there in a bedroom in their own bath. Um, they walk across the uh, parking lot to the practice facility. They're in there separated you know, from each other, so it's individually hopefully within a week we're going to start where we can do some stuff three-on-three, five-on-five, if we can do that. uh, But this has been hard on these players. Their mental well-being, you know, no one wants to think about that. You're worried, are they in great shape? But here's a guy that's in his room 20 hours a day. I mean, you can only train so much, and individuals, a couple times in the gym, you're eating, and then you're in there playing video. Not good mentally. So we're trying to convince people we have a sterile situation. Let them play pickup. Only them. No one else. No one breaks the bubble. But it would be like if we tested them over and over, it's like a family. You can be together. You can do that because you're, you're healthy. And so we're trying to do that. A lot of Zoom calls. I got a Zoom call tonight. A lot of Zoom calls with the families to try to assure them of what we're doing and ask their opinion. Is this okay? What do you think? Should we test more or less? Tell me, here's how it is. How do you all feel? Um, and try to protect their son. But these kids are 18 and 19, David. They want to play. Yeah. They want to play. They. I mean, and I'm trying to hold everybody back, yet they're right in a way, if we've done this two and a half weeks, come on now, they should be able to start playing. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping here in the next week we'll be able to.
0: Yeah, good, good. You know, Coach, uh, what would be the... Three bits of advice you'd give to aspiring leaders.
1: The first piece would be what I said. If you care about your people and they know you care, you'll always have a job and you'll always be in a leadership position. The second piece was, and and I'm, I'm not sure I said this, Pat Nardelli, when I was coaching, gave me a piece of advice that if you can have a bad deal with good people, stuff happens but you can never have a good deal with bad people. And, and again, what he was saying is, you have good people, they come together. Sometimes stuff doesn't work out. But if you put bad people together, I don't care what it looks like, smells like, what you make, it's not good, stay away. And I've tried to live by that. You know, surround yourself with good people. I make sure they're, they've got a good heart. They're, they're, they're givers, not takers. They, they lead by serving they have, they're grateful kind of people. And when I interview them, I want to see those traits. I can teach you the basketball. Mm. And, and so, but the other piece of it is about your people. you got to care about those people. They've got to come first in your decision-making. You know, you worry about what it does to the fans and this and this, but if you do right by your players, they'll take care of you with everything else.
0: You know, coach, uh, you and I have something in common. You know, my aunts and uncles lived in Osceola, Missouri. And, uh you know, no, nobody knows where Osceola, Missouri, is except for maybe you and I. And Ellen's from uh, spent some time. My in, wife is. Uh, she's from Osceola, Missouri, and knew my my my, my family there. Yes, uh, she did. What you come from a humble background, Ellen, obviously the same. Uh, how much has that really affected the way you approach? Your, your leadership and the role that you have?
1: Well, I've got to tell you about Osceola first. When we used to go to Osceola, we had to climb a pole to get on the phone. I mean, come on now, that's Osceola, Missouri. Uh, so, uh, but I think, again, um, I think Ellen and I, we don't need much to be happy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not, You know, I don't really care what I wear, you could tell. I don't really care what I drive. That's not what's important to me. Um, And I think your mindset is a little different because of how we were brought up. Ellen's done a great job with my kids. Um, They, uh, and I tell you, she's done a great job. Early in my career, I was gone a ton. And now I look back and what she did to, to keep our kids grounded to understand, uh, and I used to tell them, everything we have on this earth is borrowed. And then yours, it's not mine, this stuff is borrowed. And when we leave, we'll leave by ourselves, so. Uh, but Ellen did a great job uh, of, of keeping our kids in check because it's dangerous, you know, and, it, and it's funny. I, I always say it's, it's one thing, David, to have nothing and to deal with it. You know, it's worse than having nothing starting out with nothing, having more than you need and then being stupid and having nothing again. That's worse. (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm hoping I'm never getting to a position where I have nothing because I know what nothing's feeling like. And having something feels way better than having nothing. I can tell you. I've had both.
0: Well, they, there's a saying as you well know, you go to mass all the time. The more you give, the more you receive. And, and, and it's true. And and coach, you obviously get a lot of happiness by being other directed and players first directed. And I want to thank you for for taking this time out and sharing your your insights because you, you have so many and so many people get the opportunity to, to learn from you. I appreciate you.
1: David, I appreciate your friendship, David. <laughs> we go back 10, 11 years now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Thanks. Can you think of three better words to describe coach Cal than the three words he said? He's got heart. He sure does. And his heart is for his players. He may be the one calling the plays, but ultimately, he's making those decisions from a place of generosity. He's putting his players first and finding ways to help them succeed. In his words, if you care about your people and they know you care, you'll always have a job and you'll always be in a leadership position. Now, I know you care about your people. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't. All right, it's time for me to give you a little coaching. This week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to come up with three simple ways to serve your team. Those small acts of service go a long way with your people to demonstrate you care about them. And that's the hallmark of a great leader. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders care about their people. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be.